بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا ورزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله تنات بكنتيني وثأولؤلؤ المكنون دروس and last week we spoke about the first period of da'wah which was the da'wah in Makkah which we said is of course of two stages right the da'wah sirriya which we spoke about last week the da'wah in secret that lasted for three years and tonight we're moving on to the next topic which is al-jahru bid-da'wah al-jahru bid-da'wah which basically means that they went out and they did da'wah in the open they proclaimed the da'wah out loud and in open. And so the author, Hafizahullah, he says that the first ayat that were revealed in this stage is قوله تعالى وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ وَاخْفِضْ جَنَاحَكَ لِمَنِ اتَّبَعَكَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ فَإِنْ عَصَوْكَ فَقُلْ إِنِّي بَرِيءٌ مِمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ In Surah Al-Shu'ara, ayat 214 to 216 Allah Azza wa Jal He says He tells the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And warn Ashiratakal Aqrabin Warn everybody Warn all people But Starting with your Closest relatives And warn All Starting with your Closest relatives Waqfid janahaka Liman ittaba'aka Minal mu'mineen And lower your wing which means be gentle, be gracious with those of the believers who follow you. Be gentle with them, take it easy on them. فَإِنْ عَصَوْكَ But if they disobey you, and if they disobey you, فَقُلْ Then say to them, إِنِّي بَرِيءٌ مِمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ I'm certainly free of what you do. I'm free of what you do. So this was the first ayat that was revealed in this stage of the da'wah. The da'wah al-jahriyyah. Right, this period of da'wah which was done in open and no longer in secret. So the author, he explains and he says that this surah, wherein this ayah is, these ayat are revealed, which is surah al-shu'ara, you will find in it the stories of the prophets, like the story of Musa alayhi salam, from the beginning of his prophethood, up until his hijrah with the Bani Israel, and how they were saved from Fir'aun and his people. And how Fir'aun was drowned and so forth. All of this is mentioned in this surah to shuara And this, yani this surah basically covers, you know, all of the, the major points of the da'wah of Musa alayhi salam. The major stages or periods of the da'wah of Musa alayhi salam. Um, and especially with his, his da'wah with Fir'aun. So, this, these ayat only came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when he was instructed to do da'wah to his people. Yani to go out and call them in the open. So that these ayat can be in front of him and in front of his companions as an example for them. You know, so that they can see what they are going to face of hardship and of lies. Just like Musa faced 
You understand? So these ayat was a lesson for them. So like Musa faced all of these difficulties and hardships, you should know that you are also going to face something similar. Likewise, a persecution and oppression. The moment you're going to start calling to, to Allah in open, this is what's going to happen. And also so they can be upon insight and knowledge from the beginning of, the, of this affair. So this was a great lesson for them. These ayat was a lesson for them of what's to come. This is what happened to Musa. It's also going to happen to you. And from another angle, this surah also encompasses and mentions the outcome of the mukaddibin, of those people who belied the messengers and refused to accept the, the message of the messengers. From the people of Nuh and Ad and the Thamud, the people of Ibrahim and the people of Lut and the Ashabul Aikah and so forth. All of these various groups of people that went astray, that rejected the call of the prophets. What happened to them? This surah also mentions this, also mentions this in detail. And especially what happened with Fir'aun and his people. And what's the hikmah in this? The hikmah is... So that those people who belies Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will also be hearing this ayat, they can see, and this will be a lesson for them, of the outcome of those who preceded them, of those who did the same thing like them, and of what they will be facing if they are going to continue in this fashion from Allah azza wa jal. He's going to punish them and he's going to take them to task and so forth. And also as a lesson to the believers that the final outcome, the best of endings are for who? Are for them and not the mukaddibin. You understand? So this is the hikmah in Allah revealing this surah in the early days. In the early days should we say of the da'wah jahriyah. That number one as we mentioned, firstly it's to teach the Muslims a lesson. This is what you are going to face of hardship, of persecution, of oppression. And also as a lesson to who? To the rejecters, to the deniers. That this is what you're going to face. You, this is how you're going to be punished. Just like the previous people who did the same thing was punished. And also another lesson for the believers that the best outcome and ending is for, is for you. And not for these deniers. Not for the muqaddibin. So there's a lot of hikmah in this. That Allah revealed these type of ayat in the early days of the da'wah jahriyah. Because... Yani this is now where things become much more hard and difficult. Because now it's, it's about not just in secret, now we've got to go out and face the people openly. Then Allah Azza wa Jal revealed, Qawluhu ta'ala, Fasda' bima tu'mar wa'a'rid anil mushrikeen. Surah Al-Hijr, Ayah 94, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Fasda' bima tu'mar. So proclaim what you have been commanded. Proclaim. Do it in the open. Give the da'wah. What you've been instructed, what you've, what you've been commanded with. وَأَعْرِضْ عَنِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ And stay or turn away from the mushrikeen. Turn away from the, from the mushrikeen. So this again is one of the first of the ayat that came down in the time of the da'wah jahriya, in the early days of da'wah jahriya. Showing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it's time now to proclaim the message openly. Whatever you've been commanded and instructed with, now is the time to openly proclaim this message and 
turn away from the mushrikeen. Turn away from them. Don't bother with them if, they, if they're not interested. If they're not going to listen, you give your da'wah and you turn away. Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, rahimahullah, he narrates, uh, he brings a narration from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu anhu, where he said, مَا زَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ مُسْتَخْفِيًا حَتَّى نَزَلَتْ فَصْدَعْ بِمَا تُؤْمَرْ فَخَرَجَ هُوَ وَأَصْحَابُهُ This narration from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he stayed and he remained hidden or in secret until Allah revealed this ayah. فَصْدَعْ بِمَا تُؤْمَرْ Which says, so proclaim what you've been commanded. Proclaim what you have been instructed with. And then he and his companions, they went out and they did their da'wah. So, a da'wah to fill aqrabin. This was where it started. The da'wah started where? With whom? With those who were closest. As the ayah that we mentioned in the beginning said, وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ You got to warn all, but starting with who? Starting with who? Your closest relatives. This is where you need to start the da'wah. And so this is of course where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam started. He would call the Quraysh. He would call his people. He would call his closest relatives from Bani Hashim and a group from the children of Abdul Muttalib. And he would gather them. And in one instance he gathered about 40 or 50 odd of them. 40 to 45 of them. And what he did was is, he made for them, he prepared for them some food from the leg of a lamb. He prepared some leg of lamb for them. And they ate until they were, they were sufficed. And it says, وَبَقِيَ الطَّعَامِ كَمَا هُوَ كَأَنَّهُ لَمْ يُمَسِّ There was no food basically left over. Right? And then he brought some, some laban for them. And they drank until they were filled, until nothing remained. And once they were finished eating and drinking, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then started and he informed them of what had been revealed to him. And he was, you know, intending to speak and to complete what he wanted to say, except that he was cut off and stopped by who? By Abu Lahab. Abu Lahab stops him, interjects. And he says, these are your uncles. And these are the children of your uncles, your cousins. So say what you want to say. Say what you want to say. But, da'i subat. Leave off the subah. Subat. Now what is subat? Stop this, leave off subat. Subat means, Subat means to leave a religion and to move to the next uh, different religion. Subah or Subat, right? And so this is why the Arabs would call the, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam As-Sabi' 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 is the one who did Subat. Yani he left the religion of the Quraysh and he went to a different religion. You understand? If somebody were to leave the deen of Islam and go to a different religion, we would say he's a murtad. Understand? This is something similar to them, but they would say as-sabi. He's the one who left a religion and moved to a new religion. So this is what they called him. They referred to him as as-sabi. 
because he left their religion and he moved on to the deen of Islam. So Abu Lahab says to him, say what you want to say, but leave of the subat. And he don't be a person who's going to leave the religion and move to an, an, a different religion. And then Abu Lahab said, know that your family are not in a position to withstand all of the Arabs. You guys or this family of yours are not strong enough to face the rest of the Arabs. There are many Arabs. Quraysh is just one tribe. And this family is just one small family compared to all of the Arabs. You're not in a position to withstand all of them. And then he said, you must bear in mind that your relatives are sufficient for you. They are sufficient for you. And if you follow their tradition, it will be easier for them than to face the rest of the clans of Quraysh, which are supported by the other Arabs. You understand what he's saying? Saying if you're just going to follow what your forefathers came with and you follow the religion of your family, that's going to be easier for all of you than to come now and bring something new and then you have to face who? All of the, the rest of the Quraysh firstly and they are supported by the rest of the Arabs. You understand? So this is going to make things easier for, for you and your family. So stick to that. This is what Abu Lahab is telling him. Don't come with this new things now. And then he says to him that <clears throat> Then Abu Lahab says to him, I have not seen anybody who has come with something more evil upon his family and with to his family than what you have just brought now. I haven't seen anybody come with anything more evil to his family than what you have brought to your family right now. And so the people got up and they left. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam left them and he did not speak any further in that majlis. And then on another occasion he managed to get them together once again and he did the same thing. He made for them some food and they ate and they drank and so forth. And then he stood up and he gave a khutbah, a small sermon and he said, Alhamdulillah, ahmaduhu wa sta'inu wa uminu bihi wa atawakalu alayhi. All praise and thanks for Allah. I praise him and I seek his assistance and I believe in him and I put my trust in him. And I bear witness that there is none worthy of worship except Allah and that he has no partner. And then he said that a guide will not lie to his people. A guide will not lie to his people. Who is he referring to here? Himself. himself. I'm not going to lie to you. A guide is not somebody who lies to his own people. And then he said, even if I were to lie to all of people, I would not lie to you. And even if I were to deceive all people, if I was a deceiver, I would not deceive you. Because you're my people. And then he said, Wallahi ladhi la ilaha illahu, by Allah. The one true deity that there is none worthy of worship except him. Inni Rasulullah. I am the messenger of Allah. And I have been sent to you specifically and to all people in general as well. And then he said, by Allah, you will die just like you go to sleep one day. Just like you, you sleep, you wonder you're going to die. And you will be resurrected just like you wake up in the morning. And you will be held to account for what you have done of your deeds. And you will be rewarded with ihsan for your ihsan. Whatever good you did, you will get good in return. And whatever evil you did, you will get evil in return. 
And it will either be Jannah forever and ever or Jahannam or Naar forever and ever. And then he said, By Allah, O oh, the children of Abdul Muttalib, <coughs> the, I don't know of any youngster, any person who has come to the Arabs with anything better than what I've come to you with. Countering what Abu Lahab said the last time about you came with the most evil. He says, nobody has come with anything better than what I have come to you with. Indeed, I have come to you with the best of this dunya and the akhirah. And Allah Azza wa Jal has indeed instructed me to call you to this, to invite you to this. So who of you will pledge your, their allegiance to me and who will become my brother and my companion? Upon this, Abu Lahab again, sorry, Abu Talib, sorry. Abu Talib, we know Abu Talib, his beloved uncle, stands up and he says, there is nothing that's more beloved to us than your assistance in helping you. And then accepting your nasiha. They, again, this is who they know, this, they know him. As-Sadiqul Amin. Right? Nothing is more beloved to us to help and assist you and to accept your advices. And to believe in what you are saying. Because we always believe you. We know who you are. But these are the children of your, of your father who've gathered. I referring to Abdul Muttalib. These are your uncles and your cousins and so forth. You've gathered, you've gathered them. And I am the first from amongst them that will do whatever you love, whatever, whatever makes you pleased and happy. I am the first one who will come and take care of that. So do whatever you've been instructed to do. Abu Talib says to him, do whatever you've been instructed to do. Fawallahi, by Allah, I will continue to protect you and to defend you. I will continue to defend you and protect you, except that I am unable to leave the deen of Abdul Muttalib. Except that I am, except for one thing, I will be there by your side, I will protect you, defend you, I will believe in everything you say, I accept your advices, I'm the first one to, to make sure that you are happy, to do what, what's beloved to you. All of this except, I cannot leave the deen of my father Abdul Muttalib. And so the people, you know, they spoke, they spoke up and everybody spoke kindly to him. Because again, he was beloved to them, except for Abu Lahab, except for Abu Lahab. And so Abu Lahab, he said, the old people, the children of Abdul Muttalib, Wallahi, this is something evil that, he's, that he has brought. So please take hold of him now before somebody else takes hold of him. Take his hand and take hold of him before. Somebody else comes and takes hold of him. Because if you are going to accept what he says, going to submit and accept Islam basically, then you are going to be humiliated. And if you protect him, you will be killed. So rather you take care of him before other people come. The rest of the Arabs and so forth, they get involved. You take care of him. If you're going to accept this religion, you're going to be humiliated. And if you're going to protect him, you're going to be killed eventually. So Abu Lahab is now, you know, and then Safiya, Ammatu Rasul, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she says to Abu Talib, Safiya, who is the auntie, right? One of Abdul Muttalib's daughters, she says to her brother Abu Talib, Oh brother, is it something good 
for you to desert your nephew? For by Allah, the ulama have always been saying and informing us that from the lineage of Abdul Muttalib, there's going to come a prophet. And this is him. This is him. So she's advising her brother. Now's not the time to desert him. Because we've always been told, the scholars of the past have always been saying, from this lineage of Abdul Muttalib, there's going to come a prophet and this must be him. So Abu Lahab said, هذا والله الباطل. This is Batil. He stood up again and he said, by Allah, this is Batil and this is wishful thinking and this is just the, the speech of a woman. This is just the speech of a woman that must be kept to the bedroom. And then he said that if the Quraysh is going to stand up, that's for argument's sake, he's basically saying that the Quraysh is going to accept this and stand up and the rest of the Arabs come. What's our strength going to be against them? And he said, by Allah, we will not be except like the eating of a head. Meaning, something that will be consumed in a moment. We are so small, so, so weak compared to all of the Arabs. And so Abu Talib said, by Allah, I will protect him until I remain alive. This was some of the discussion that took place. So Abu Talib, Abu Lahab on the one hand is saying, no, we have to take care of him now. Don't listen to him. Sophia is saying, listen to him, this must be a prophet, we know him to be this virtuous person, he's from the lineage of Abdul Muttalib, and Abu Talib is in the middle, Abu Talib is basically saying, I will protect you until I remain alive, but the one thing I won't do is give up the religion of my father, Abdul Muttalib. What then happens is, After the Prophet sees this commitment from his uncle Abu Talib that he will protect him under all means, under all circumstances, he sat and he thought, how am I going to spread this da'wah now? Right? What's the next step? So he gets up on Jabal Safa. Safa. We know Safa and Marwa. He gets up on Safa. And he said, Ya Sabahah. Ya Sabahah. Now this word Ya Sabahah is an expression which, which one uses to appeal for help. It's to draw attention to people as if to say there's some danger or some enemy that's about to come. So he stands up on the hill and he says Ya Sabahah. As if there's an enemy about to attack in the morning. This is, this is how this term is used. Right? So obviously what happens is people turn to him and they say who is this that's calling out? And they say it's Muhammad, so they all come. Because again, who is he? Al-Amin. So they come forward. Those who couldn't make it, they send someone on their behalf. And so people come. Abu Lahab, the Quraysh, and them, they come. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, أَرَأَيْتُكُمْ لَوْ أَخْبَرْتُكُمْ أَنَّ خَيْلًا بِالْوَادِ تُرِيدُ أَن تُغِيرَ عَلَيْكُمْ أَكُنْتُمْ مُصَدِّقِي He says, what do you say? What do you, uh, what's your opinion? That if I were to tell you that there was some enemy, some horses and horsemen and so forth, that was about to attack you in this valley, from behind this mountain top, where I'm standing, they're about to sneak up on you and attack you. Would you believe me? They said, Naam. We don't know you except that you are truthful. We don't know you to be a liar. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa obviously uses this testimony against him and he says, 
I am here to warn you in face of عذاب شديد A more severe torment Something much more severe than this Right, obviously referring to the Akhirah Again, who speaks up? Abu Lahab What does Abu Lahab say? Abu Lahab says Tabban laka sa'ir al-yawm Tabban laka sa'ir al-yawm May your hands perish for the rest of the day. For the entire day, may your hands perish. They use the word tabban. Tabban means may your hands perish. The rest of the day. Ali jama'atana, is this why you gathered us? And then, what was revealed? Fanazalat tabbat yada abi lahabin wa tabba. Allah then revealed. May the hands of Abu Lahab be perished and may he himself perish. Neither his wealth nor any worldly gains will be of benefit to him. So Allah responds in defense of the Prophet as he basically curses the messenger, Allah then curses him from above the seven heavens. So he said to the Prophet, May you perish for the rest of the day. Allah then says, May the hands of Abu Lahab perish, and may he perish himself. May he perish himself. Firstly, Abu Lahab. Right? Who is Abu Lahab? He's the uncle. He's one of the sons of Abdul Muttalib. His name is Abdul Uzza. His name is Abdul Uzza, the slave of Al Uzza, which was an idol. He is a slave of Al Uzza, this is his name. And he, but he was known for he was known by his kunya, which is Abu Lahab. He wasn't really known by that name. That's his name, but he was more well known by his kunya, which is Abu Lahab. The word Lahab means a blaze or flames. Lahab means a, a blaze or flames. So some say it was because he had his cheeks would become red, you know, like flaming. This is why he was called Abu Lahab. And others say it's not because of that. He was called Abu Lahab because um, of the ayat that was eventually revealed. That he will be burnt in a fire which is that Lahab, which is a flaming. It's the owner of flames, possesses flames, that Lahab. And the sound the two of the opinions, there are other opinions as well. But this is what this was his kunya, Abu Lahab, and he's the uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the sons of from the sons of Abdul Muttalib. But his name was Abdul Uzza. Abdul Uzza. Tayyib, um, then the Sheikh mentions a hadith in Bukhari and Muslim from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, who said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he stood up. When the ayah was revealed, where Allah says, and warn all people and starting with your closest relatives. And he stood up and he says, Ya ma'ashara Quraysh, ishtaru anfusakum, la ughni ankum min Allahi shay'a. He spoke out to who? The Quraysh. He stood up and he called the Quraysh and he said, Purchase yourselves, for I cannot avail. <coughs> Anything for you against Allah. Purchase yourselves means protect yourself. Submit to the deen of Allah 
and purchase your akhirah. For example, sell yourself for the akhirah. Right? Then he stood up and he said, Ya Bani Abdi Manaf, all the people of Abdi Manaf, all the people of Abdi Manaf, I cannot avail for you anything against Allah. And then he said, Ya Abbas, O Abbas, the son of Abdul Muttalib, I cannot avail for you anything in front of Allah. O Safiya, the auntie of Rasulullah, I cannot avail for you anything against Allah. O Fatima, Bint Muhammad, the daughter of Muhammad, Salini ma shi'ti min mali. Ask anything of me from my wealth. But I cannot avail anything for you in front of or against Allah. The hadith in Muslim says, when this ayah wa aqrabin was revealed, and warn all and starting with your closest relatives, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam called the Quraysh. He gathered them and he said, Ya Bani Ka'b ibn Lu'ay, Save yourself from the fire. Ya Bani Murrah ibn Ka'b. The different tribes of the Quraysh. He's calling each one out. And he says, Save yourself from the fire. Ya Bani Abdi Shams. Save yourself from the fire. Ya Bani Abdi Manaf. Save yourself from the fire. Ya Bani Hashim. Save yourself from the fire. Ya Bani Abdul Muttalib. The children of Abdul Muttalib. Save yourself from the fire. Ya Fatima. Save yourself from the fire. فَإِنِّي لَا أَمْلِكُ لَكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا For I do not possess anything for you against Allah. غَيْرَ أَنَّ لَكُمْ رَحِيمًا سَأَبُلُّهَا بِبِلَاهَا بِبِلَالِهَا But I will uphold the ties of kinship with you. Subhanallah. What is this hadith telling us? What's Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam doing? What's the benefits of this hadith? So firstly, Ibn Hajar, he mentions some benefits of this hadith and he says that the secret firstly in warning the closest people, the relatives, is that once the proof has been established against them, it will then be transcend, it will then transcend to others. Right? Once the proof has been set upon them, it will automatically transcend to others. But also, if it's not established against them, then those who are more distant in terms of relative and, and, and those who don't really know him, they will turn away and say, but you never even invited your family and you never even gave da'wah to your family. So this could be a reason for them to, to not accept and to turn away. And also, those who are closest to you, they know you best. And so they would know and they would treat him with respect, they treated him with kindness, with gentleness and so forth. And so he gave them that special favor of da'wah, firstly, and of warning. And so this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically says, start with them. Makes sense, right? And if there's hikmah in it, that instead of starting out there, you start at home, those closest to you, and automatically it will spread, and automatically then people will see you started with your own family. But if you don't, what's the, what's the response of people? The response of people to this day is, Go speak to your own family first. Don't speak to me. Speak to your own family. Your family is doing so and so. This we find even to this day. If you give someone da'wah to a particular you know, belief or you explain something to them, sometimes they say to you, but your own brother is not listening. And your own sister doesn't do this. Why are you speaking to me? This is how people are when they get defensive. So this is also one of the hikams. Why? He was instructed to start with his family first. Secondly, Ibn Hajar says, this was an open, loud call. 
that he did from the, top, the, from the mountaintops, which was in reality the goal of his message, the goal of this da'wah, which is that he split his people by his da'wah. He split them up. How so? He made it very clear to the closest of people to him that it's the belief in this message which is the true connection between them. The real connection is the connection of Iman, not the connection of blood. The connection of Iman comes way before the connection and is much stronger than the connection of just blood, bloodline. So these people were proud Arabs and they were people of Asabiyah. They were fanatics. They were tribalists. So by him coming with these statements, what is he telling them? I cannot avail for you anything in front of Allah. Save yourselves from the fire. Purchase yourselves from the fire. As if to say, even if I'm the messenger of Allah, if you don't believe in Allah, I cannot save you. If you don't submit to the will of Allah, I cannot come and take you out of the fire. You have to save yourself from the fire. This is the true connection. It's not about we from the Quraysh, we, we together. It's more about we are, we are brothers in faith. This is the most important thing. So he comes and he melts away this, this asabiyah. This is the word Ibn Hajar uses. He melts this asabiyah that they had. This tribalism that they had within them by the warmth of the school, by the heat of the school that he did. This warning that he gave them from on top of the mountains. So this is a powerful hadith if you put it into context. And how he is basically warning them and telling them that I cannot save you. You may be my auntie, you may be my own daughter, my uncles, my I cannot save you. You need to save yourself from the fire. Understand? So subhanallah, come qiyamah, we cannot expect our children to save us from the fire, or our fathers, or our mothers, or based on lineage. You have to act accordingly to be saved from the fire. Wallahu musta'an. So Ibn Hajar then says that the Prophet ﷺ, he was he had the best of status in his city. And he was ad- admired for his trustworthiness and for, and for his love. This is how much they loved him. Yet he is the one who is now coming to them with what they hated the most. This was the most beloved son of theirs. This is the most respected son of theirs, the most admired. Now he comes to them with, with what they hated most. And subhanAllah, you know, this reminds me that sometimes, again, we see this even today. Sometimes you have people, they hate for example, the da'wah of Tawheed in the Sunnah, the da'wah of the Salaf al-Salih. They hate it with a passion. And they are the people who, who call against it and they lie against the followers of this way and they call them all names and stuff and refer to them as extremists and those who hate the Prophet wasallam and so forth. And then what happens? Some years later, their own children see the truth in this methodology. And their own children give them da'wah. And say to them, but this is the haqq. Here's the hadiths. Here's the Quran. Here's the narrations of the Sahaba and so forth. This is what happens many times. It's the sunnah of Allah that, that we've seen. That sometimes the people who are the most 
arrogant. And the most fanatic, it's their own bloodline that comes to them, their own beloveds that come to them and say, but that actually accept the message. This is something similar that just reminded me of that point. That this was the most beloved to them, the most admired, and he comes to them with what they hated the most. So he goes into this dispute amongst them with the most respected of them, the most foolish of them. And he, he basically chances, the, the, you know, losing. He takes a chance and a risk by losing that love of theirs. He, he could lose the love, the respect of whom? His closest of, of, of people, his closest of family. However, this pain, this difficulty is belittled in, in the path of the haqq. When a person follows the haqq, Allah gives him the strength to endure. People belittle you, people hate you, your own family will belittle you, your own family will turn against you. Allah gives you the haqq, or sorry, the, the patience to endure. And the strength to endure. And this is what he gave Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he opened his chest as we know and so forth. Then what happened was is when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam now continued declaring openly the haqq as Allah instructed him and his people couldn't really respond to him except that they were confused. They didn't know what to do really. And when he started to mention the false gods, like the idols that they used to worship, and he used to rebuke them, and, you know, ad- ad- admonish them regarding these idols which have no benefit, this is where they started to take it a lot more serious. So initially, where he's just, you know, called to Allah and I'm a messenger of Allah, it wasn't that, but the moment he turned against the, the idols and the gods that they used to worship, this is where they started to take it a lot more serious and became a lot more angry. And they started to oppose him and to even try to fight him and so forth. So this was the case except for who? Abu Talib. Abu Talib was the only one who would never go to that extent. Abu Talib knew what he's saying, but Abu Talib had that special care for him and protection for him and so forth. So as he continued and he expressed his disapproval of the shirk and of the batil and he mentioned the realities of the idols that they have no value, have nothing to offer and he would show them, prove to them they are just idols. They don't bring any benefit. They cannot keep away any harm. Right? And he, made, he clarified that this is complete dalala. The person who follows this and believes in idols is clear misguidance. The Quraysh then comes to Abu Talib. The Quraysh then decide, let's go to Abu Talib because what are we going to do about this, this, this man? So they obviously noticed that he's not stopping and he's not satisfied with them speaking against him either. And he's continuing his call against them and their prophet and the, the gods, basically. And they also notice that Abu Talib is still protecting him. And Abu Talib is still compassionate with him and so forth. So they go to him with a group of the most noble of the Quraysh. They go to Abu Talib. Utbah and Shaybah, two brothers. 
the sons of Rabi'ah, Utba and Shayba, the two sons of Rabi'ah, they go to Abu Talib. Abu Sufyan ibn Harb goes to Abu Talib. Abu al-Bakhtari, these are the noblemen of the Quraysh. The two brothers, Utba and Shayba, um, both die in the Battle of Badr as Kuffar. Sufyan ibn Harb eventually accepts Islam later on. Sufyan ibn Harb. Abu al-Bakhtari also dies as a disbeliever in the Battle of Badr. Al-Aswad ibn al-Muttalib. Al-Aswad ibn al-Muttalib. He dies also as a disbeliever before the Battle of Badr. Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl now comes into the picture. Abu Jahl. Amr ibn Hisham is his name. Amr ibn Hisham. He also is killed in the Battle of Badr. Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. Walid ibn al-Mughira also dies as a disbeliever before the Battle of Badr. And Nubayh and Munabih, the sons of Hajjaj, are also killed as disbelievers in the Battle of Badr. And Aas ibn Wa'il, Al-Aas ibn Wa'il, also killed as a disbeliever in the Battle of Badr. This group comes to who? No, to who? To Abu Talib. To Abu Talib. They come to Abu These are the noblemen of the, the chiefs of the Quraysh. They say, Abu Talib, your nephew has sworn against our gods and he has belittled our, belittled our religion and he regards us, as, uh, regards us as foolish and he has regarded our forefathers as misguided. So either you take hold of him, sort him out, you keep him quiet or you leave him to us. You leave him to us, we can sort him out. Because you are on the same religion as us. So as much as he differs with us, he's differing with you. So you decide. Right? But we leave him to you. So you either leave him to us, or you take care of him, but something needs to be done. So Abu Talib speaks, he speaks to them nicely and so forth, and he responds to them until they leave. But this happened, meaning they tried this and it didn't work. Abu Talib basically again, Defends the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he refuses to hand him over or anything like this. One of those men was who? Al Walid ibn Al Mughirah. Walid ibn Al Mughirah. What's the story of Walid? What happens with Walid ibn Al Mughirah? Al Walid ibn Al Mughirah. One of these men of the Quraysh, these leaders of the Quraysh, noblemen of noblemen of the Quraysh, he comes. To the Prophet sallallahu And the Prophet sallallahu recites the Quran to him. And he's affected by it. The Quran softens his heart. It softens him up. And this reaches who? Abu Jahl. Amr ibn Hisham. Abu Jahl. This incident that Abu Ta- that, that Walid heard the Quran and he was sitting with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. One narration says he was sitting with Abu Bakr. That the Quran had an effect on him. This incident reaches who? Abu Jahl. One of his fellow leaders and noblesmen. So Abu Jahl comes to him and he says to him, Oh uncle, your people, they are gathering for you some wealth. They, they, they're collecting some money for you. And so Walid says, why? Don't they know that I am from the most wealthy of men? So why must they bring money to me? This is to give you because they saw that you went to Muhammad. 
And so, Abu Jahl says to him, Say something about Muhammad. Say something about him. That will reach your people so that they can see that you disapprove of him and that you dislike him. Right? Say something about him or the Quran. Say something about the Quran. Maybe that's maybe the more inter- correct interpretation. Say something about the Quran that you heard. Or the Prophet wasallam. That will reach your people and they will understand that you disapprove of it, of the Qur'an, and that you dislike it. So Awalid says, What can I say? He says, For by Allah, there is no man amongst you that's more knowledgeable of poetry than me. And the composition of poetry than me. Nobody knows poetry better than me. The composition of it, the writing of it, the recitation of it, I am the master in poetry. And not even by the poetry of the jinn, he says. And then he says, by Allah, nothing of what he said to me, of what he recited to me, resembles any poetry. And by Allah, that speech of his is something sweet. Halawa. Wa inna alayhi latalawa. And it's something attractive and full of grace. It's graceful. It's fruitful at the top. And copious at the bottom. And it nourishes whatever it reaches. And it has the upper hand. It will never, nothing has the upper hand over it. It will overcome and nothing will ever overcome it. And it will demolish whatever is below it. And so Abu Jahl says to him, your people will never be happy with this. You can't say this about it. Your people's not going to be happy with you. So what are you going to say? So Walid says, فَدَعْنِي حَتَّى أُفَكِّرِ Leave me so I can think. Leave me to think. فَلَمَّا فَكَّرَ After he thought, he said to these people and to Abu Jahl, هَذَا سِحْرٌ يُؤْثَرٌ this is from the ancient magic, ancient, ancient magicians. And it, and it was basically narrated by others. That's all it is. And when this happened, Allah Azza wa revealed ayat regarding Walid ibn al-Mughirah, where Allah said, ذَرْنِي وَمَنْ خَلَقْتُ وَحِيدًا Leave me, O Prophet, leave me. Leave me to the one that I created all by myself. Leave him to me. ذَرْنِي, leave me, the one I created all by myself. وَجَعَلْتُ لَهُ مَالًا مَمْدُودًا And I granted him abundant of, abundance in wealth. وَبَنِينَ شُهُودًا And children always by his side. وَمَهَّدْتُ لَهُ تَمْهِيدًا and I made this life very easy for him. Yet he's hungry for more. Kalla. Allah says, but no. Indeed, he has been truly stubborn with our revelation. And I will make his fate unbearable. He contemplated. Right? Allah says, فكره, He contemplated. وقدر, 
And then he determined. What did he determined? About the Quran that is just magic. So what a degrading thing he said about the Quran. Inna fakkara wa qaddar, Allah says. He contemplated and then he determined. Fakutila kaifa qaddar. May he be condemned? Kaifa qaddar, how evil was his determination about the Quran. Thumma kutila kaifa qaddar. May he be condemned again or even more. How evil was what he determined about the Quran. Thumma nazar. Then he recontemplated out of frustration. Because Walid knew what he heard was the haq. But now he's torn between Abu Jahl and his people and the haq. So this is what he decides. And then Allah says, Thumma nazar. He had to recontemplate. He sat again out of frustration and he's thinking and he's thinking again. Thumma abasa wa basar. Then he turned away. He frowned. Sorry, he frowned. Abasa, he frowned. Wa basar and he scowled. Thumma adbara. Then he turned away. Wastakbar. And he acted arrogantly. Faqala and he said, In hadha illa sihru yu'thar. And then he said, This is nothing but magic from the ancients. In hadha illa qawlul bashar. And it is nothing but the speech of a man. That's what Allah revealed about Al-Walid, Ibn Al-Mughirah. And this was the incident that happened with Al-Walid. The next ayat, Allah says, I will burn him in hell. What's going to cause you to understand what is hell? Saqar. It doesn't leave anyone behind, not living or dead. And it scorches all of the skin away. So that's the story of Al-Walid, who was one of these men that came in this group. And when he sat with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he heard the Qur'an, was affected by it. And then Abu Jahl came and said, look here, this is not going to work. What you're saying about the Qur'an? He said, let me think. Fakkara. And he, th- he thought, contemplated. And he chose to turn away from the haqq. And Allah Azza wa Jalla revealed this ayat in Surah Mudathir about him. What then happens is that the Quraysh again, the Prophet is continuing with his da'wah, calling people openly to Islam until the time of Hajj came close. And the Quraysh, they knew people are going to come into Mecca from outside. The rest of the Arabs are all going to come. And they were still perplexed and confused about the messenger. What are we going to do about this man? They didn't know what to do about the Prophet how are we going to stop him? Especially now when the Hujjaj comes. It's a bigger problem for them now. And because everybody knew that he is a Sadiqul Amin, even the rest of the Arabs, they knew about him. Because they knew Abdul Muttalib, they knew his family, they knew this, this, you know, who he was. And so they feared that if they're going to meet him, he's going to give them da'wah and they're going to accept from him. So this was their biggest fear now. So they decided, we, we are also going to do da'wah. We are going to tell people, he's nothing but a magician. And a fortune teller, and a crazy person, and so forth. And who decided this? Al-Walid ibn Mughira. The same man who rejected the Quran and said that the Quran is just ancient magic. He decided, let's, let's just call him a sahir. The best thing is, call him a magician. So when they agreed on this, 
they went out to fulfill this agreement and they would go out into the, to the streets. As people came into, you know, to, to Mecca and so forth, they did not pass by a single person except that they warned him of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and telling them about his affair. At the head of this was Abu Lahab. At the head of this was Abu Lahab. He in fact used to follow the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam around. Wherever the Prophet went, he would follow him. In their place, in their homes, in Ukad, another place that we spoke about previously, in Majinna, in Dhil Majaz, different places outside of Makkah, around Makkah, as the Prophet is calling people in these places to Allah and telling him that telling them that he is a prophet that has been sent, Abu Lahab is right behind him saying, Don't listen to him, don't obey him. He is a Sabi and a Kadhab. Sabi is what? person who left the religion to go to another religion this is what he said he's a sabi he just left the religion so don't listen to him and he's a liar in fact in a hadith kathab is a liar yes sabi is a a person who left the religion in a hadith in the musnad of Imam ahmad and ibn hibban in his sahih with an authentic chain of narration from rabia ibn ibadat daily and he was a jahil who accepted islam Right? He said, I saw the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with my own two eyes in the souq of Dhil Majaz, in the marketplace of Dhil Majaz, saying, Ya ayyuhan nas, the Prophet was saying to the people, O people, say, La ilaha illallah tuflihu. Qulu la ilaha illallah tuflihu. O people, say, La ilaha illallah and you will be successful. Say, La ilaha illallah and you will be successful. And he entered through the streets of this marketplace, the people would gather around him and he would give them da'wah. And he said, I never saw anybody saying anything. Maybe many people were, were quiet and listening to him. Ya nas, say la ilaha illallah, you will be successful. Nobody said a thing whilst this was happening. Except, this man says, behind him was another man who was intelligently look, intelligent looking. He had a bright face and he had two locks of hair hanging down. And this man was saying, he is a sabi' kadib. He is a sabi' kadib. He is a liar and he left the religion. He is a liar and he left the religion. So I said, who is this man? They said, this is Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. And he's mentioning his prophethood. And they said, and who is this man who is saying he is a liar? That's his uncle Abu Lahab. People say that's his uncle Abu Lahab. So this is what happened during the days of Hajj, right? As the people are coming into Makkah and the regions of Makkah, the Prophet is going around calling them to the deen of Allah. And the rest of the Quraysh is also going around saying, be careful of this man, he's a liar, be careful of this man, he's a, he's a, he's a magician. And right behind the Prophet is who? Abu Lahab saying, he's a liar and he's a sabi. He's a liar and he's a sabi. He's a liar and he's a sabi. Subhanallah, this is how it was during the, day, the days of, or leading up to the days of Hajj. The author then mentions two incidents about two of the Sahaba that we'll mention and end of inshallah before we move on to the next part of this chapter. Firstly, it's about Ibn Ummi Maktoum. It's about the Sahabi, Ibn Ummi Maktoum. Ibn Ummi Maktoum. Ibn Ummi Maktoum, from the people of Medina, 
Some say his name was Abdullah, and some say he was from the of Iraq, and his name was Amr ibn Ummi Maktoum al Qurashi. Right? So some say his name was Amr, some say his name was Abdullah, some say he's from the people of Medina, some say he's from Iraq. However, he is the son of the uncle of Khadija. He's the son of the uncle, meaning he's the cousin of Khadija, radiallahu anha, and he accepted Islam in the early days. Cousin. He's the cousin. This is how they, this is how they write it in Arabic. Okay? The, the son of the uncle. Yani, the cousin of Khadija. And he accepted Islam in the early days. And he was from the first people who did Hijrah. From the first people who did Hijrah. He reached Medina before the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam left him in charge of Medina. Or in charge of some of the people in Medina. That, that he would pray with them and so forth. Um, now, that's some of the some of the story of Ibn Umm Maktoum. So, what happened with Ibn Umm Maktoum? Ibn Umm Maktoum, there's a narration that mentions that the Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is sitting with again some of the noblesmen of the Quraysh. Again, he's, he's trying hard with these men, giving them da'wah, and he never stopped. He kept, uh, he, he tried hard with them. He really exerted himself in giving them nasiha. And again, there's hikmah in this. If you get a leader on the da'wah, what happens? He brings his followers with. You understand? If you get a chief of a tribe onto the da'wah, automatically, he brings his tribe with. So this makes a lot of sense. So he's trying hard with these men, this, these chiefs of the Quraysh. And one day he's sitting with a big group of them, the chiefs and the leaders of the Quraysh, Amongst them is again Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira, Utbah, Shayba ibn Rabi'ah, ibn Rabi'ah, and he's basically trying with him, you know, speaking to them with kindness, so forth. And there's mutual respect between them, and he recites the Quran to them. And as he's doing this, Abdullah ibn Umi Maktoum comes. Ibn Umi Maktoum comes. Now, Ibn Umi Maktoum was a blind man. Ibn Umi Maktoum was a, a blind man. An. He comes and he asks Rasulullah and he tells him to recite the Quran for him and so forth. But this made things difficult for the Prophet Why? Because he was busy. Was, you could say like in a meeting, you know, with these leaders, trying to give them da'wah. And yeah, Ibn Umi Maktoum comes and says, Where is Rasulullah? Can I sit here? Can you recite the Quran to me? And so forth. But the Prophet is busy with these leaders trying to speak to them. Until it says that it became like a slight disturbance for him. It became like a, a slight disturbance for him. Um, because he had hoped that these men were going to accept Islam, these leaders and so forth. And as you know, the, the discussion is going on, Rasulullah is basically worried that this is going to disrupt everything and these men are just going to get fed up and leave. What he does is, he turns away from Ibn Umm Maktoum and he frowns. He frowns and he turns away. At a frustration, you know, the timing and so forth put him off. And then what happens is, he faces these men of the Quraysh and he wants to continue and then Allah Azza wa reprimands him. Allah Azza wa Jalla reprimands the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam for this and he reveals which ayat? Abasawata walla. 
Abasa means to frown. Abasa says, Watawalla. He frowned and he turned away. And he turned his attention away. Anja'ahul a'ma. When this, simply because this blind man came to him, interrupting him. Allah revealed a number of ayat up until I think the 13th or 14th ayat. Um, in fact, there's another hadith narrated from Aisha radiallahu anha from Muslim ibn Subayh. He says, I entered upon Aisha radiallahu anha and with her was a blind man and she was cutting up some fruit, some citrus fruits. And she was giving him to eat with some honey and so forth. So this man, Muslim, he says to Aisha, O oh, mother of the believers, who is this man that's sitting with you? And she says, Hada Ibn Ummi Maktum. This is Ibn Ummi Maktum. The one whom Allah reprimanded the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about. So she says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ibn Ummi Maktum came to him. And he was sitting with Utbah and Shayba, you know, these leaders of the Quraysh. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam turned towards them. And Allah revealed the ayat, Abasa wa tawalla and ja'ahul a'ma, meaning Ibn Ummi Maktum. This ayat was revealed regarding him. Imam Al-Qurtubi explains this and he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what was his intent? His intent was to reach these kuffar. He wanted to win them over. Right? He wanted to win their hearts. And he also knew that Ibn Ummi Maktoum was a firm believer. Ibn Ummi Maktoum was a, was a firm believer. So he wasn't worried about his Islam. But he was more worried about getting these men into Islam. So it was not to say that he wasn't paying at, that, he, yani that he wasn't worried with Ibn Ummi Maktoum or that he wasn't, didn't give him the same privileges. He was already Muslim. He, he knew he's a firm believer. So rather let me pay my attention to these people, invite them, get them onto the da'wah and so forth. This was the intent of the Rasulullah. Like in a hadith, he says, Inni la rajula wa ahabba min an In a hadith, he says, I give a person while another is dearer to me. I may give to somebody while someone else is actually more beloved, more dearer to me. Why? For fear that he might be thrown into hellfire by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on his face. Meaning, this person may be more dearer to me, but this person, if I give him, he might enter Islam. And he might be saved. So instead of giving my beloved, the one who's closer to me, I'm going to spend more time here trying to bring him closer. Trying to bring this one to save him from the fire. Not to say that I don't, I don't want to give him, or that I don't love this one. No. This is the hikmah. So this was the same... Same case here, not to say that he doesn't love Ibn Umi Maktoum or he disrespected him, but he, his focus was on these men to hoping that he's going to get them into Islam. Understand? But Allah also reprimands him to say, don't turn away from me and don't frown in the face. Have sabr. You know, we need to have sabr. People are, subhanAllah. Um, <clears throat> and Ibn uh, Al Qurtubi also says, so even though. This was also to teach us that the mu'min, the true believer, the poor person is better than a rich disbeliever. He's better, right? And looking at the believer is better than looking at the kafir. Facing them is better than facing a kafir. 
even though there's maslaha in looking at this disbeliever and trying to bring them in, but we have to also give respect and due uh, diligence to the, to the Muslim first and foremost. Um, طيب, I think let's stop here and we'll do the next Sahabi that, that the author brings up next week, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. And we'll continue from there. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك.